if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to The New Chemist. We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Here on The New Chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as careers, community, research, and COVID-19. We're happy you're tuning in. My guest today is Nigella Nakuna. Thanks for joining me today. It is so good to hear from you both. Just briefly, I'll inform my audience about you. Nigella Nakuna is a joint degree student at the Harvard Kennedy School and the MIT Sloan School of Management. After completing an industrial degree at Georgia Tech, it was during her time in undergrad that she rekindled her passion for serving her community through leadership. During her senior year, she served as the student body president, working on a range of issues from sexual assault on campus to higher education access for different communities. After working at Google post-undergrad, Nigella wanted to come recommit to her passion of serving others, using leadership and innovation to drive social change. In practice, Nigella is passionate about removing structural barriers and opening opportunities up for marginalized but highly talented youth. She now is focused on developing scalable solutions for social policies and designing more equitable systems in our world today. Please welcome Nigella Nakuna. Thanks for coming on today, Najala. It is good to have you here. Good to see you too. Looking sharp too. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so how do you maintain a view of the bigger picture in your career and in your life in general? So like a bigger picture of um, like what I care about or a bigger picture in terms of um, sort of like how the world is now? I would say of what you care about and what's, what you're passionate, what you're motivated on, about? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Um, so I, uh, you know, have always been very community-oriented and socially-minded in anything I do. Um, and I think that even throughout any of my experiences before college, in college, post-college, that theme just continued to reoccur. Um, inside projects that I continue to do and I think that um, it's what I'm current what I'm currently doing in grad school is something I'm really passionate about that's not to say that um, science technology math stem fields are not because I am passionate about that as well Um, but what I'm driven by in my life is is to be of service to other people and I think that that has just been a reoccurring theme that I always came back to. So um, how do I keep it grounded? I, I don't even think I do it. I think it's almost instinctive or natural. 
Oh, yeah, that's good. So along the line of service, how have you sought or found the right environment for you to thrive in terms of your service to others? Yeah, so for me, it's less about the environment and about, sorry, the existing environment and being able to create that environment. Okay. Um, so okay. I'm someone who really thinks that, you know, right now I'm studying policy and politics along with business something that's a total deviation of my previous fields. Mm -hmm. And I think that the commonality or the common theme that has run across every single industry, every single scenario I've been in is being able to take whatever culture exists there and molding it into something that is better or is, is more socially minded or thinking about the community in different ways. And I think that that, I don't like to, you know, brag about myself all the time, but I think that that's a skill and that's something I really have tried to bring into all of my management experiences um, and all of the experiences I hope to gain. Okay. Wow. That's good. That's really <laughs> good. So how do you maintain a balanced life given all your responsibilities and accomplishments? How do you maintain a balanced life? <laughs> so I don't. Um, so I heard that I <laughs> I heard this from someone else, so I can't take credit, um, but they, it was actually another podcast. I don't think it's balance. I actually think it's what do you prioritize? Okay. So that's going to look different in, in different stages of your life. Right now I'm single. I don't have any responsibilities or dependents. Um, and so balance to me is more introspective and I, I can sort of set, set my own schedule without having to defer to other people, keep other things in mind. Um, but I think balance to me looks like being able to exercise regularly. Okay. Balance looks like, you know, being spiritual on the, you know, all of your life, but especially on the weekends and kind of decompressing then and spending okay. more time with family. Um, and then during the week, you know, I just sort of grind like everyone, yeah, and maybe yeah. even on the weekends, but that's what balance to me right now is. When I was in California, that didn't look the same because I was, you know, managing a home that I just purchased and, and had different responsibilities that were top of mind then. I think maybe when you're older and have a family, you have to consider their needs as well. So, um, it's not really balance, it's prioritization to me. And right now, okay. it's a priority for me to learn and be as informed as possible. Yes, I agree. It's important because education allows you and it provides a skill set for you to help other people and that service that you were talking about. I know. So, Can I ask you a question? Sure, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. What, what does that look like in your life right now during COVID? Well, well I, I kind of echo the same sentiment in that balance for me is based off of my priorities hmm. and balance for me is respective to the stage of life that I am in as well. Given that I was, I'm just starting graduate school. So balance for me is developing. Like it's not set in stone. I say, I would say there are certain things that have weight in my life and I just make sure they are, they are, I just make sure those things are kept in check for example, my spiritual life, my exercising, my mental health, my academics, all those things, I just make sure those things are kept in check. Sure. Um, 
you know, you don't have to be like, for me, balance is not perfection. Balance is just doing your best given the day and given the circumstances. That's such a good point. Balance is not perfection. It's not, it's not. Because, because if you think about balance, and this is something that I, my parents would talk to me about as well. Balance for you is respective to your situation and to the mm. person. Because what may look like balance for me is not the same thing as balance for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So balance. Your is, parents are wise. <laughs> yeah. 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 I agree. So along the same lines of your environment, how have you maintained vision and teamwork in your environment? Ooh, teamwork is so important. Um, so especially during this time, I'm sure you've heard, but a lot of the social movements we have going on. Yes. Um, something that has really resonated with me is if you are getting to the top on your own, you're not doing it correctly because none of us are where we are because we haven't, all of us are where we are, I should say, because we've had support and help from community members, from mm -hmm. mentors, from teachers, yes. parents, family. Um, and so to me, teamwork is essential because it's, it's almost like Georgia Tech's motto, you know, build, creating the next, building the next, mm -hmm. right? You need to be able to work in a team to accomplish anything because no one exists in a silo. Yes. And, you know, to expound upon that further, you know, our nation doesn't exist in a silo. We're all interconnected just mm -hmm. as human beings. And um, it's so important. So teamwork to me is an everyday practice. You have to yeah. know how to work with other people. And that starts from childhood. I have a twin sister, we're completely different, but that taught me how to, you know, share, be caring, be empathetic. Those are the core values that reside yes. within teamwork. And I think that's more of what we need now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, because, you know, given the circumstances, given the uncertainty that's currently occurring in the environment due to the pandemic and given the economic fallout and all of the social challenges, I think simple virtues and simple values like compassion, empathy, just care for your neighbor whether they look like you or they are they believe the same thing as you all those things really do go a long way yeah um, especially when you can't meet in person you yeah, know when we're yeah. connected like this yeah. we need to extend even more of that yeah i agree so along the lines of your academics now why did you choose industrial engineering as a field to major in yeah, that's a great question. Because you were, what What major were you in undergrad? Um, I started off as biomedical engineering, but I changed to biochemistry. Ooh, okay. I'd be interested to know about that change because I also switched majors as well. Oh, yeah. From computer engineering to industrial engineering. I've always been sort of a math geek. Um, okay. And computer engineering was great because it's very tactical and you still have some of that math embedded with, within the major, but it, it, it's, it's very technology focused. And I am um, a late adopter to lots of technologies. So okay. <laughs> I, I, it didn't pick up as much as I thought I, I would. But what I loved about industrial engineering was it was this cross between engineering and business. And it just, I don't know how to describe it, it just made sense. Like okay. optimization just yeah. made sense because it was very math oriented. 
Mm -hmm. I'm really organized. And so that type of thinking in algorithms and thinking in an almost very structured manner mm -hmm. just made, it was easier for me to learn and it resonated with me a lot. Um, and I think what people think of when they think of industrial engineering is working in a factory or thinking through a navigation system and what the back end of that looks like. They're thinking of, you know, what's the quickest way to get from point A to point B um, because you're optimizing a process. But what I learned is that it reaches so much further than that. Like when I was at Google, you're thinking through, well, how can I optimize this new product this new work stream that we're doing or implementing that is embedded within this product to then make that run more efficiently. And that seeing it in a software lens was so interesting because I'd only ever seen it in, in a factory lens working at Boeing or seeing it in their supply chain. So I think that's yeah. what. That's what that is. Okay. That's good. You know, along the same lines um, for me, uh, the switch came about because, you know, I recognize that, the biochemistry was really my passion. After taking introductory biochemistry at Georgia Tech, I recognized that biochemistry was my passion. The approach to science, the way we look at macromolecular structures and how they have biological applications. You know, I, it became, it was like a, a candle was lit. And a flame, <laughs> yeah, it was it just, I, things came alive for me in terms of my intellectual engagement. So yeah, definitely biochemistry was, was the jam, I would say. And uh, that's why you're studying, you know, chemistry yeah. <laughs> in grad school. Yes, yes. Um, so in terms of advice, do you have any advice for those wanting to pursue the field you're currently studying in at Harvard and MIT? Ah, hmm. That's a really good question because I almost think it's a calling. Okay. But I think it's something that anyone can aspire to be. So the motto at the Kennedy School is, um, it follows after JFK's motto of, you know, being accountable for change and you wanting to change the world and not accepting it as you see it. Mm -hmm. um, that's why it's named the Kennedy School. Um, but I think that everyone, I guess what I am hoping for the world, but especially the U.S., is that people feel compelled to do something about their current community or life or um, feel empowered to be able to make change where they see it's needed. Yeah. Um, and so I say it's a calling because I was sort of, I think I was called to that work. Okay. I think that's sort of why I'm put on, I don't want to get too philosophical, sort of put on earth, but I really believe it because that's, that's just something I'm so passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, but I almost want everyone to be passionate about being intentional about how they interact within their community. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be just civically engaged, although I would hope that too, <laughs> but yeah. um, you know, you're, you're really passionate about biochemistry and you were talking about macro molecular structures which you know is it but that's something you are passionate about because i'm assuming you can use that information to help inspire other people or help exactly. people in their lives yeah and that i think anyone can be service oriented in any field of their choosing and i yeah. don't so i don't know if that answered your question but um th the advice i would give to folks 
who are interested in this work is that you really want to make sure that it's coming from a place of authenticity Yes. and um, do it however is authentic to you. That might not look like politics for everyone. It might look like cybersecurity work if you want to be more tech oriented. It, it might look like being a doctor or, or being a chemist. Um, just do what feels authentic to you. Don't, don't force it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's important to be your authentic self and to go after what you're good at and what you're passionate about. Because, you know, I was listening to, this is just a reference, I was listening to a motivational speaker, and he said, your, in essence, he said, your gift or your calling might be in agriculture, and they're trying to make you, or you're forcing yourself to be an IT specialist. So, like, two different, two different subcategories, two different disciplines, but, you know, you have to know what you're good at. That's to, so good. Yeah. And so I think it's a matter of self-discovery, introspection, and, you know, just taking time to be patient with yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah take time. You don't have to know it in college. Yeah. You don't even have to know it after college. It took yeah. me <laughs> after uh, college to figure out that I wanted to do this. So. Yeah, it takes time. So, you know, along the lines of service-oriented and I saw, you know, one of the things you're passionate about is improving access, hmm. improving education access. So how are you active in that area? Or how do you see yourself playing a role in that area in the future? Yeah, so I actually, I, I always am interested in access because access is a systemic issue. And I know that we're talking a lot about systemic issues right now with conversations about racial tensions and divides wealth divides and equity mm -hmm. but i truly believe that education is one of the best ways to have upward mobility in society i agree always i've always thought that way um coming from an immigrant family i i've always believed that and i i like you i think education is so important mm -hmm. um i've been a benefactor of many pipeline programs both to companies and also to schools. Um, and I think just because we have those pipeline programs because it's emblematic of a larger problem, right? Yeah. Which is access to certain things for different communities, not right. just black and brown communities, but poorer communities, right? Which tend to usually be go hand in hand. Um, so how I'm working on that is, I, I guess I'll say I've always worked on that. Okay. When I was, when I was um, at Georgia Tech, I always mentored black and brown students. Um, when I was at Google, I, I helped with Google's Tech Day, which is sort of an introduction to get minority communities and students in tech and in STEM, specifically at large tech companies like Google, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, YouTube, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. um, I would say even during my time at the Kennedy School, we were able to pick a project and my project was partnering again with Google because I, I do like the way they do things. It's very research and data oriented okay. to, on how they, what type of information they displayed on their search bar and how it would be helpful to high school students applying to college who needed financial help. Um, and, and so how I hope to do this in the future, I, I think it's, you can really do it anywhere it sort of depends on the time you have and the scale to which you want to do it. But I think solving economic problems 
it's going to be really important how we design economic policy, how we design, if you're running a company or running a nonprofit, how you design or reach out to certain communities will help, um, help you identify talent that is outside of, of sort of the mainstream traditional pool. Um, so I hope that sort of answered the question, but I think the work can look varied, okay. but it's all really important because the goal is to create a society that looks, you know, the goal is to create corporations, to create industries that looks like society and, and not have it incorrectly reflect that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The corporation should be representative of the demographics in the country and in society at large. So, um, you know, along the same lines of uh, it reflecting society um, in terms of interests, your interests in terms of your academics, what have been your longstanding interests in the field of science and public affairs? Yeah, so I, um, I always say this, I always try and apply the scientific method to everything, which is kind of really broad. Okay. <laughs> but it's really important, right? Because in anything I do, I am just someone who tends to be very research oriented, okay. whether that's in my activism, whether that's in um, policy work, I, I tend to be more on the research and analytic side, because I think that when you are creating good policy or good management practices, you always want to look at what the data is telling you, mm. right? And I know that that sounds pretty cliche or maybe normal at this day and age, but I think that where people begin to use data is when they are justifying certain policies or beliefs or things that are already in place. Mm -hmm. my reasoning is exactly following the scientific method. You have a hypothesis, you test it, you research, and you find data that can yield whether or not your hypothesis was true or not. Mm -hmm. I think too often we're using data at the tail end of decision-making when we should actually be using it in the beginning. Um, and so I, I use STEM you know, practices, even in management style, you want to be able to think through things in an agile way. Um, right. I think it's really important to be able to iterate and pivot based off of new information that you're getting. We're seeing a lot of those types of practices with COVID, with how people are governing, right? We're seeing yeah. governance being done in a really iterative model, whereas mm -hmm. that's not always the case because governance is usually tied to budgets. But now that you know the economy is up in the air, um, people are trying different things and, and being a little bit more risky or, or adventurous. Um, and that's not to say the agile method is risky, but it's certainly riskier than traditional governing methods. So um, again, I think it's really important to be able to use science and research methods whenever you're doing literally anything, <laughs> not, yeah, just, not just science, right? Yeah, Where I agree. You, have you seen the same thing in your work? Um, primarily, well, you know, as, as someone who's worked in biochemistry and now specifically about to begin my time in chemistry, specifically organic chemistry, like the scientific method is the framework through which you apply all, it's just the lens through which you look at your work. 
in terms of justification, in terms of explanation, in terms of just going about daily routine in the lab, you use the scientific method. Yes, I do. I have seen that in my work. But along the lines of um, the iterative process, um, I would say, I would say that many times um, changes I've seen, it's not like one action or one decision in which uh, it makes a large, a large difference, but it's the small changes over a large period of time, over a long period of time that makes mm. a significant difference. Um, you know, I think, um, and I was listening to another motivational speaker as well. Um, they made the comment how, you know, sometimes people associate change with the grand sweeping actions, like starting yeah. a foundation or starting a large organization or something of that sort. But I think you would agree with me. Um, many times change takes place in the small little decisions that you make on a day-to-day -day basis and the Absolutely. interactions you make with people. Small moments make a big difference. Yeah. They do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So... Um, how have you been adaptive and creative in the field of science? What, which specific ways? How have you been adaptive in the field of science and public affairs? How have you been adaptive and creative? That's a really good question. So, so <laughs> trying to think of a, go ahead. So, yeah, so um, in terms of your time at Georgia Tech as the student body president, uh, what would you say was a, a defining moment in terms of you being adaptive or creative? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that the way, so I was really blessed to have, and I'll say this about him forever, a really incredible vice president that I ran with, um, Shane Madrinich. He is such a kind, um, thoughtful person. Um, and I was able to be creative in how we defined our roles and okay. specifically to adapt to the changing times is during the 2016 election. And a lot of the work that I did ended up being very externally focused to the school. You know, it did affect students' lives, but the work was more about, more on policy changes in the state, um, national changes that were happening at the time voting efforts and registration efforts and getting out the vote for students at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and the way, the way he took on the work in a way that I was able to focus outside of the school while also focusing on the things that affected our students, but okay. in a more external way. That, I mean, that was one of the reasons why I applied to public policy school in the first place. Um, because I was able to get that experience, but also get a taste of what that work looked like in the real world. Um, and so I'm sure you might see other presidents now, especially have very internal roles because of the pandemic. You're focusing on how we can help students in a very transaction, not transactional in a poor, in a negative sense, but in a very transactional, tangible way, because the work is very proximate to the students. Whereas my work might not have been as proximate to student life, but it did affect it and it did have a huge impact. So things like mental health were yeah. one of our core internal initiatives, but a lot of our external initiatives were around sexual assault 
and and immigration and um, and gun laws. So I I think that was very different, and it didn't look like that in the many years that I in the maybe subsequent years. Um, but you know I think creativity is needed all the time, and I think you can still go about implementing creative methods in a structured way because I am <laughs> very structured. I'm not as, my twin sister is very creative in the general sense of the word. Um, but I, I don't want people to sort of shy away from that. I think it's a really good question to be able to think through if you have a process, how can you affect, like you said, the little changes here in a creative and innovative way that produce a different output. Yeah, I agree. So, um, in terms of, I, this is a question that I, I think would be uh, it's very interesting. In terms of your transition from Georgia Tech to Harvard University, yes, why the transition and what, what appealed to you in terms of your application? What, what made you make the switch? So I was, um, I was in California working at Google. Um, I'd actually applied to public policy school. I graduated in December, so I applied my last semester. Um, but I also applied to many different programs, business school programs, you know, deferred admissions programs, a few tech and policy programs, um, because I didn't know, like we were talking about earlier, I didn't know what I wanted to do <laughs> long term. Yeah, yeah. I just, I had a job lined up. It was great. I liked it. I liked the role. Um, but I sort of was still a little bit confused about what I would do long term or sort of what my calling was. Yeah. Um, but I knew after my presidency, I say that colloquially, uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> my student body presidency, that I kind of liked this policy thing, right? It seemed okay. a little fun, seemed interesting, but not enough to make it a career. Yeah. Um, I went to California and I spent a couple of years out there and a couple personal things happened. But in addition to that, I saw where the world was going. I saw where our nation was going. And then I saw the bubble that is Silicon Valley almost. It's um, not in a bad way, but people definitely, you don't have to think about the rest of the United States. You know, they almost have their own economy going, okay. all about building the next product. Um, and it seemed to me almost like a silo within the United States. And I remember one day my manager had asked me because I was following Georgia politics very heavily is when Stacey Abrams was running for governor. Um, and there were a bunch of abortion laws or anti-abortion laws being passed. And my manager at worst asked, work asked me how I was doing. And, um, I said, well, I decided to sort of answer honestly, given what I had been reading about that morning. And I said, well, not so great, actually. I'm seeing I'm very, I'm pro-choice. I okay. People know this and <laughs> maybe it doesn't appeal to everyone. But, um, you know, I said there's a lot of really stringent abortion laws being passed right now, now in different states around our country. And he looked at me and sort of gaped at me that I would give that answer. And um, they said, well my partner isn't pregnant so we haven't worried about that yet and i went oh my gosh like your partner doesn't have to be pregnant for you to worry about that you could just worry about that because it's important to people around the world and 
that's when I knew that I needed to accept <laughs> my offer to go because I think that I, that was not the place for me to do that work, right? Okay. And that's not to say that the company doesn't care about doing that work, but I think that I knew that I needed to be in a space where I could advocate for people in right. the way that was most comfortable. And maybe corporate America is not the place to bring that up. I know that. Um, but I'm also a very blunt and authentic person wherever okay. I go. Okay. Um, and so I wanted to be able to do that in whatever field of work I chose. Okay, that's very important in terms of, you know, advocating for people and making sure that you reflect your authentic self. So, Nigella, you know, um, I also have, as we wrap up, I have one more question for you. How would you say, if you were to give, I have two more questions for you, actually. <laughs> so, um, if you were to give a suggestion or give a recommendation to building community and solidarity within the African diaspora, mm. um, in terms of people of color, building community within ourselves, you know, a house divided against itself cannot stand, as many people have heard. Uh, what would you suggest? About building community within the larger African diaspora? Yeah, Caribbean, as well as African Americans. And how, what would you suggest? Will be your first suggestion i want us to be able to have open and difficult discussions okay. um i think mental health is a discussion that we need to be able to talk about openly yes i agree um and then i think we've made a lot of progress in this area especially and i think art really mirrors life especially in the divide that maybe once existed between um, Africans from the continent who maybe have moved here mm. and Africans who were against their will brought here. Okay. Um, and having that discussion mm. and, um, and coming together as a community and sharing our different lived experiences, yeah. but also our very much culture that is the same. Exactly. Um, and I think those are two big conversations that I really want to be open about. And, you know, it's something my family's working on. It's something I think a lot of families are working on. Mm. Um, but being open about, you know, things like PTSD. I just finished a 25-day push-up challenge to talk about PTSD and mental wellness. Oh, yeah. um, and, and things like that. Those are two big discussion topics that I want to become, you know, seen as normal in the African diaspora and the larger community. Yeah, you know, those things are very important. Mental health is so important. You know, many times uh, it's not always talked about because some people consider it uh, to be, or sometimes there's a stigma associated with it. But mental health is so important. Um, I think mental health, spiritual wellness, um, physical wellness, uh, all those things. I think health is not just within the physical body, but it involves all different parameters, mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, all those things comprise what it means to be a healthy and a whole person. So my last question for you, what is the most beneficial advice you have received? If you had to give one example of the most beneficial advice you have received, what is that? 
give and take advice that is meant for you and not meant for that person. Okay. And that is how I, I think that's, I don't want, I don't, it's really hard for me to categorize all the great advice I've been given, but that's one of the top ones. When you're okay. giving advice to other people, mm-hmm. make sure that it is very much targeted for them and mm-hmm. not based, can be based off of your life experiences, but not rooted in what you perceive to be the advice you wish you had gotten, but really that advice that is best for that person at that time. And in the same way, accept advice and feedback and criticism that is meant for you and not meant for what that person hopes you will do. Um, That's very much mirrored around Brene Brown's um, talk about being vulnerable Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, not taking advice from people in the cheap seats, you know, people who aren't willing to be vulnerable with their life and Mm -hmm. take chances and take risks. Um, But taking advice from people who are willing to do that work and want to see you grow and actually giving advice in that same spirit too. It's one of the top pieces of things I always recommend. And then the second one, which I know can also be seen as a privilege statement, but I really, I think it's so important is making career decisions based off of your values. Yeah. Don't go for a career because you just because you think it'll pay you a lot of money mm-hmm. or it'll make you, you know, powerful or successful. You want to go for a job that will both be able to help you be self-sufficient but also aligns with your values as a human because you will not be able to thrive in any environment that does in a place that has starkly different core virtues than you. Um, And I think that's so important. I got that advice from my parents and it's always stuck with me. Okay. That's good. Thank you so much Nijala for coming on today. It has been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is The New Chemist, where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I. Thank you.